Welcome to this episode of Strategy Simplified. Today, I'm joined by Ahmed Elkomi, the Managing Director of Consultia, a leading industrial transformation consultancy based in Australia. In this first episode of a three-part series, I talk with Ahmed about operations transformation consulting, his journey from partners in performance to DuPont to launching his own firm, and some common mistakes that he's seen in ops transformation. Without further ado, let's dive right in. Welcome to this episode of Strategy Simplified. Naman here. I'm so excited to be joined by Ahmed Elkomi, the Managing Director of Consultia. We're talking today about industrial transformation consulting. So get ready for a fun and fast-paced conversation. Ahmed, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Naman. Thank you so much for having us here today. Absolutely. So you're the Managing Director at Consultia. Uh, but before we talk more about the firm and what you all do, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, who is Ahmed and uh, just what's your background? Sure. So I um, I studied mechanical engineering um, at uni and um, upon graduation, I, uh, I joined a local construction company um, here in Brisbane in Australia. Um, and I was there for a few years doing um, frontline roles. I was on this emerging leaders track. And uh, what happened in 2008 when the global financial crisis um, hit is that about a year and a half in, there was a big, massive restructure that needed to take place in the company. And that was the first time I had ever encountered a management consultant. So this, this, this guy got parachuted into the company. Um, and because I was this young emerging leader graduate, um, I got seconded to the boardroom to work with him and some other executives as, as, the, as the analyst who was going to gather things um, and, and do some data and number crunching. I just loved the whole thing with how he was conducting himself. He was, he was an ex-military guy who then did an MBA in, in the US and joined McKinsey for a few years and then you know kind of got out and did his own thing. Super sharp, super good with what he does. And I was just fascinated by that individual. And I remember asking, like, what does one do to become a consultant? Like, is, is this some speciality thing that you got to study? What do you do? I had no idea about what that whole profession was about. And he was tearing the entire company apart, HR, org effectiveness, um, ops, maintenance. And I thought, wow, this is just incredible. Um, so, you know, worked, worked for him um, for a period of four or five months, loved every bit of the experience. Um, when the org restructure was done, um, just when I thought, all right, let me start applying for consultancies. Um, one that really resonated with me at the time was called um, Partners in Performance, PIP. They're, they're, a, they're a global ops transformation consultancy, you know, headquartered in Sydney, but operating globally. Um, and as soon as they wanted to start the interview process, I got a promotion nearly a year into just starting my um my career with, with the construction company. And it was a pretty senior role. And, and at the time, because there was a massive commodity boom happening in regional Australia, a lot of the persons were just flogging out to the mines to make a killing. Uh, so a lot of the city gigs in construction were, um, let's say, more opportunistic, right? So I got a really good promotion. Uh, and so I told Pip, can you guys please hang on? Like, I got this really cool role. I want to sit in and do it for a little while. A year later, Pip must have had me on, on a calendar schedule. And they said, hey, are you ready now for your interview? And I said, oh, I'd love to, but two weeks ago, I, I, I got my second promotion. They're going to give me a whole plant to manage. And like being a plant manager, being the youngest plant manager the company had ever had is such an honor and a privilege. And I really want to give this a shot. Like at 25, I'm running this ops facility. And I thought, awesome, let me really get into that and do it. And like 10 months in, 
I turned it around. I had systemized a whole bunch of stuff, et cetera, that I felt like the day-to-day now running of it was not going to be anywhere near as exciting. And I felt like now might have been the right time to get it to the consulting gig. And so, yeah, look, long story short, I then started with Pip as the entry-level analyst in 2011. And ever since then, I haven't looked back. It's, it's been consulting um, ever since then. So you went to Partners in Performance in 2011. Talk to me about when and why you decided to leave and what you're doing now. Yeah, awesome. So one thing uh, that really resonates for me, and you know, I was the guy that came with a little bit of the ops background, right? Um, and, and kind of the guy that likes to get his hands dirty and run ops, et cetera. So, so that firm pit resonated really well for me on the back of the fact that it's, it's a lot about delivering the tangible output. And it's a lot about delivering the result. It's not just the advisory where, you know, here's the analysis, here's the, here's the roadmap, big high five, rock and roll, you know, see you guys whenever. It was really, let, let's get in and roll our sleeves up and work alongside you and get the results. And that just resonated with my persona. It resonated with how I felt I could be adding a lot of value and actually making tangible change is something exciting, right? And so... I joined the firm as the entry-level analyst in 2011. And then, you know, a series of, of, of quick promotions. I was made an associate, senior associate manager and AP. That was all over a span of seven years, associate principal. Um, and I did about three years um, in Australia on the East Coast. And what happened was in 2013, um, we were doing this um, construction productivity and, 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 and strategy implementation piece with a national broadband network in Australia. Elections were coming up and they needed to get so many more homes connected and they were nowhere near hitting the target. So this is such a super exciting gig. But then out of nowhere, um, an opportunity came up in Mauritania saying, look, we've just won this big, massive um, engagement. And there's no one to staff it. And we need like a global team of people who'd want to put their hand up and, and go to Mauritania and get it going. And I remember thinking, I'm guessing you might be thinking this, hey, where, where in the world is Mauritania? Like, what is Mauritania? And, and so I went on Google really quickly and I checked it out. And it's this big, massive country on the western coast of Africa. And um, a Canadian company called um, Kinross has an asset there, right? And in 2013, the price of gold plummeted. And so all these companies that so they were running good businesses, but it was really on the back of the fact that the gold price was so high, was all of a sudden exposed, right? So the unit cost tanked and those companies were just exposed. And, and so this was a live or die situation. So we had, we had 10 months to take their unit cost of production from $1,800 an ounce to $1,200 an ounce, or the operation shuts down. Thousands of people will get unemployed and, and thousands in direct employment. You've got to think when you're in Africa and some of those uh, more developing nations, a gig like that is like an economic GDP pillar nearly, right? And so, you know, left Melbourne, which was one of the happiest cities on earth at the time, and, and took a trip across to Spain, to Las Palmas and the Canary Islands, and there we were in Mauritania um, starting this turnaround. And, and, you know, the objective was achieved. And I absolutely fell in love with Africa and with the impact that you could have, right? So it's, it's fine to be tweaking uh, in Australia, right? Like, let's take you up from the 94.5 to the 95.2, and that 0.7 is worth X tens of mil of dollars. I mean, they're cool problems to solve for, whereas this was a lot more about, gosh, there is really a lot here that we can do. We're saving jobs and communities. I felt the impact I was having for the same amount of hours that I was spending working was, was astronomical. It was like a 10 times more impact. And so I l- fell in love with that work. And, and it was literally a, 
I had the tools of the trade. I had my mozzie net, my mosquito net. I had my malaria pools and I had my laptop bag. And so they were the three tools of trade. And I went around Africa for the next three and a half years. It was Mauritania, Botswana, Congo, Mali, Mozambique, you know, you name it, South Africa. I just did the rounds, fell in love with Africa. I fell in love with the work on my off swings because I was doing rosters. Um, I met I met my wife at a, at a diving resort. She was teaching at a at an Aussie uni in Dubai. So I set up shop in Dubai and continued rostering um, into Africa. And by the end of 2017, I had the partner promotion which was what I've always obviously admired and what I've always wanted. I mean, every aspiring analyst joins a consultancy and partnership is the dream. And you, 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 you wouldn't believe it. I would have been the youngest appointed partner in PIP. I was 31 at the time. And I have the offer in front of me there. Um, I had my role model um, performance as an AP and I simply couldn't take the job. <laughs> I was clocking a million miles a year, literally. Um, I was working really hard. A lot of the gigs that Pip sells to are what's called pay for results, which means, you know, cover our expenses. And once the dial starts to turn, uh, you know, we'll take a clip of that. You know, it sounds really good in theory, but for the guys that have actually done that work, it's, it's a living hell because week three and, and the partner is banging the table saying, where's the results and what's going on? And, and we're burning costs. They're really super stressful gigs. Uh, and so I was, I felt like I've, I'm suffering a super early midlife crisis. I was 31 at the time. I couldn't take the offer. And so what I thought, and, and look, a lot of my mates were either, you know, going, taking that six month drop out, you know, every five years in consulting, there's like a massive drop off of personnel. So a lot of my mates were five years to seven years. I was already seven years and they were already all dropping off, right? Somewhere hiking the Kilimanjaro and others were backpacking in Latin America the, the reality is, Naman, that six months after they've done their, their spiritual trek or whatever you want to call it, you know, they come back and a few weeks into the gig and they're right in that same dark, miserable hole that they left. They never really fixed anything, right? So I knew I needed more than six months and I knew I needed to really shift and change the way I was working. And so, and I was starting to get a young family as well. I had, I had my firstborn, Asiara, at the time, and I was just doing so much travel and I was gone away from home for so long. Um, I ended up going to um, uni um, and universities in the US, when it comes to MBA programs, et cetera, it's a much uh, younger cohort. Europe is on average much older. So that appealed to me because I was 31 at the time. Um, and IE in, in Spain had a really good setup where you could also do two postgraduate degrees, an MBA plus something else. And you can get it done in an accelerated fashion over a 20 month period. So nearly two years. So I thought, you know what? And the second language was mandatory. So I thought, awesome. You know, I get to live in a non-English speaking country. I can polish all that French that I learned in the underground mines in the Congo and the Senegal and Mali, which is which is okay. Uh, I get to do two degrees and be gone for two years from work. And you would have earned well. So I was, I was happy to look after the family and be unemployed for a couple of years. And so that was it. Um, packed up the family, settled in Madrid and a couple of years in I was just super relieved to have been done with consulting for a little while. And then the itch began again, right? It just you start itching again for the gig, for the transformation, for the result. It's it's I don't know, but in my particular instance, it's nearly an addiction. It really is. It's and it's like you need it every now and then. You just gotta get the result. You gotta turn the dial. I'm just keen to go and just flip a place and turn it upside down. Um Going back to Pip, I felt like I was going to be learning more of the same. 
and I, and you know the toolkit was great, but then DSS Dupont Sustainable Solutions came along, and it came it came from nowhere really. It was a referral from a friend who had also left Pip and joined DSS. And what I liked about it was the fact that they were just getting carved out from Dupont by a private equity company. So that sounded like a good deal because you know the sky was the limit in terms of growth that the PE company had mandated, and they wanted to set up their operations excellence practice kind of from scratch. They're really reputable at the ORM stuff, the operational risk management work, and Dupont is really a pioneer in safety. Think of, you know, you get a tier one consultancy from the board, it's your insurance policy. You can't go wrong if you get it, even if the outcome was not optimal. Uh, Dupont's the same when it comes to safety. So a lot of the heavy industrial board um, boards will look to Dupont if there's a, a safety risk, if there's an accident, an incident, Dupont has that brand at the board level, right? So... So I thought, great, you know, let's give this a shot. We're building a practice from scratch. It's, it's really exciting. Let's do something different. Um, and so I joined DSS. It was literally the first day. They've just been carved out by that private equity company. Um, I was based out of Dubai. My, my mandate was, was very regional, but also global. So again, I was back on the road. I was in South Africa, all over the Middle East. I was in Northern Finland delivering a transformation because believe it or not, we couldn't find the right resources in Europe to help get that gig across the line. Um, so I found myself delivering a gig in Finland during COVID uh, and nearly getting trapped in the airport there in Helsinki on a few occasions because they couldn't figure out what's that guy doing, like coming over to Finland and working at a remote mining site like near the Arctic Circle. It nearly sounded like I was making it up in the airport every time. Uh, but you know what? All in all, I felt like I had generated enough experience and enough credibility i was doing so well and and you know and if i'm being very transparent there's always still that sense of insecurity that i suffer which is i feel like i don't know enough still like i just gotta get one more gig or i gotta see one more industry or one more toolkit i don't know what it is but i keep doing so well and i the more i do well the more i think oh my god i feel like i'm nowhere near enough where I should be learning, yeah? And IE triggered that entrepreneurship flair. It's really big on the IE Venture Lab. And so I was part of the IE Venture Lab. And going in, and it's similar to that Shark Tank, right? Where you got to get in and you got to, you know, pitch your idea and get it torn apart. And you got to keep coming back, coming back. It really started that whole entrepreneurial journey in the back of my mind. And, and look, I did start an entrepreneurial venture while I was doing the MBA. Uh, believe it or not, it was a mining gig in Africa. Uh, believe it or not, uh, we found some gold, but it just wasn't enough. And I ran out of money and I wasn't raising any money. So I, on my personal funds, commissioned like a couple of exploration gigs, went out, we went into the desert, we did trials, we sent the essay samples uh, and we found gold, but it wasn't enough. And it wasn't enough to start a company. I ran out of money. I had a family to look after. I, I was just graduating. And sadly, I had to let go of that venture, but I'd learned a lot and I loved it. There was just something about creating creating an enterprise that was super rewarding. And again, it's back to, I don't know anything. And that seems to keep me going for whatever reason, right? And so um, two and a half years in with Dupont Sustainable Solutions, and I was back in Oz, I settled with my family, and I felt like this is, this sounds like it's about the right time to start doing my own thing. I can pick the, and, and remember when you're senior in companies also, there's a lot of decisions that are not necessarily yours. You might believe that you want to tackle a problem in a certain way or do it or do it in a certain flavor under different terms, but you're kind of also confined and bounded to to the gig, right? To the to the commercials that the firm has sold. And you're also confined to the team that gets brought on to the engagement. 
I, I wanted a situation where I can craft the entire solution independently. This is what I think. This is the client who I want to work with. And this is the team that I want to bring on. Um, and so fast forward and Consultia was kind of born um, January 2022. Then when I left the SS and said, you know, thank you so much. But I feel like now is the right time for me to get out there and do my own thing. Hey, consulting firms, I'm going to take a quick sec to speak to you. Is your lack of brand awareness in a certain market hurting your recruiting efforts? Raise your firm's brand awareness and prestige and expand your recruiting pool by partnering with Management Consulted. Our expert team works with you to co-develop engaging content that speaks to future employees, potential clients, and online search algorithms alike. In addition, we help you put on curated events to speak directly to top talent in our 3 million strong community that is looking for consulting roles now. Reach out today to speak with a member of our team to see how we can help you showcase what makes your firm unique. Write us, team at managementconsultant.com. That's T-E-A-M at managementconsultant.com. Or find us by clicking the link in the show notes. All right, let's get back to the show. Okay, so you went from partners in performance to a two-month hiatus in Madrid. By the way, one of my favorite cities in the world, if I had to take a little break from work, which I understand school is not always a break, but it feels like it coming from consulting, going to yes, school. It was. Uh, <laughs> there, there are many, many worse cities in the world that you could do that in uh, than Madrid. So I, right there, I, I respect your judgment just based off that. Then you went to DuPont Sustainable Solutions and then started Consultia uh, about a year and a half ago. So talk to me about Consultia. Uh, like, what do you do? Uh, who do you serve? And like, why would I work with Ahmed and Consultia? Yeah, great question. Um, so look, yeah, maybe I didn't mention that I did end up making the partnership in, in DuPont. And I, I, you know, I, I sold some incredible work for the firm. So I, I picked the boxes. I felt like if I can sell, I can sell. I didn't realize that that brand behind you does a lot of the work for you too. But I, I was confident that I could orchestrate the transformation single-handedly. It's the okay. most transferable skill, I think, in business, the ability to sell. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so, you know, PIP was all delivery. DSS was a lot of sales. So I felt like I combined the best of both worlds when it came to putting it all together. So, look, what I do is predominantly industrial, right? So mining, metals, oil, gas, construction, utilities, um, anywhere normally where someone needs to be wearing safety gear and a hard hat is where I tend to operate. Uh, it's it's my happy spot and it's really where I can add tremendous value. It's, you know, it's one thing to have the toolkit and the experience, but also over time, and when you do that stuff over and over, you really start to have your own benchmark up here. Like you, you start having that common sense of how long a, a, a transformation could take just based on you spending a couple of days um, looking and observing, right? So, so, and, and, and don't ever discount how important that is. Like the toolkits and the frameworks and all that is really important. But what starts in my case, at least to really tick the boxes is you just got to have the confidence to know that, Hey, I've seen enough of this, that, you know, there is a little bit of that benchmark that is really me. I can benchmark this up and I can tell you where I think you sit on the spectrum. A little what bit more qualitative. 
Yeah, without having to refer to a very fancy maturity assessment where I need to tick, you know, a million boxes. Sure, we can we can do that as part of the gig, but I can come in and, and I can be very, very directional and very indicative with where I think you are. And so Consultia is really about heavy industrial clients mainly. And again, it's really back again to delivering results. This is not about delivering strategy. This is about delivering results and turning the dial. Uh, but what I'm trying to do differently, again, because you might argue, well, how's that different than to what you've done previously? I'll, you know, sustainability is really at the core of it. And not just saying that word, but really making sure that there is a tremendous investment in capability building, that I'm taking a little bit of a step back. I'm not doing the work. I am 100% delivering through the line. So if it means that I need to physically sit next to a person and stare at the screen while they do it, so be it. But that's my deal. My deal is, is, is if, you, if you're going to keep outsourcing the work and farming it out, that's good. And, it, and, and a lot is going to happen really quickly. But I can promise you that I've seen it time and time again that it fails and it falls over when the consultancies go. And it's very simple math. You're bringing in a bunch of very high caliber people who are working 12 plus hours per day. And they're doing a lot of stuff every day. They're really busy. You extract those out of the organization and somehow you're going to build a sustainability tracker and, and that's all going to be good to go. And it's not. You know, there's, there's an incredible amount of hours that you've just taken away from the company. And because they over time integrated and started adding tremendous value, the ability to just extract them out thinking they're going to get replaced by very similar piece from the client side is an unrealistic expectation in every way, shape and form. And so I'm a firm believer that one way to, to really build the capability is to sit back and coach, like literally coach, as in you will build the model, you will build the tracking, we will do the coaching together, but I take an active role back. Now, if it means that we get there a little bit slower, that's okay, but I guarantee you that they've done all the work. And so, and so we're starting to build a very different product then for the client, which is this is your team doing the work under my guidance and under my instruction and under my, my watch, uh, but they're doing the work. And so they get it fully. It's not that I've built a fancy model and then I'm going to just conduct a two-hour training at the end of the transformation to tick the box and say, yep, I've handed that over to the client. Well, they were never going to be able to build anything like that anytime soon. Like your consulting company has invested in you as an individual for years to get you to, to build a model of that standard, for example. That was never going to get done in a couple of hours uh, as far as the handover goes. So I've seen it time and time again. These things fail. They will spend a lot of money in a four to a six month window. Like it's millions of dollars and it's this consulting storm and then it ends. There's a lot of consulting fatigue. It's like, what the hell just happened? Uh, and then everyone's trying to pick up those little bits. And, and I go to organization and I can recognize, ah, that's from that, that MBB and that's from that company and that and you can see this it's like it's like a war has 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 taken place and there's little remnants of of, of whoever has dropped whatever they did at the time right so i'll see a little a, a little template here or and, and i can recognize it just because i've been in the industry now who's done what work and you can just see the client sitting there going ahmed can we can we can we just have something simple here that we can just get started with because it's just incredibly overwhelming right and every year there's a massive corporate mandate or a massive consulting storm somewhere and, and everyone's just exhausted. And so I feel the angle that I've come in from, which has been successful so far. So recent engagement is a client has just come out from an MDB 
top-down assessment, and I swear to God, it's a 600-page deck. And, you know, I'd like to think that I understand consulting and, and that I've transformed businesses and I've done relatively okay. I'm sitting there struggling. Like, by the time you get to page 150, and I'm, and I'm you know, I'm getting to, to page 200, I'm starting to lose sense of what it is that we were trying to solve for to start with. And every page has three, four charts, 600 pages, three, four charts. You do the maths, there is an incredible volume of information that's getting handed over. And so you'll spend millions of dollars to get a fancy report put together for you, only for the client to come back and say, hey, Ahmed, what are we doing tomorrow? You know, what, 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 are we actually, what am I actually doing? I've got this thing here that's like dusting away and I don't know where to start. And so, you know, great. There's a, a market for this. There's a market for a little bit of simplicity. And I think there's even a stronger market now in terms of building capability, sitting back, letting it unfold, letting it fall over. It's under the watch. There's coaching and it's going to get there. It may be a little bit longer. So that's really the angle that I'm trying to come in with um, consult here at the moment. First of all, let's just acknowledge that a 600-page deck is madness. Uh, but, but beyond that, I, I love the balance there. Like, hey, I'll sit with you and, and I'll watch you do the work or I'll co-work with you if that's what it takes. I'm not just handing over a deck and saying, well, hey, good luck. Uh, but at the same time, I'm going to enable transformation by building your people up and by building your teams up so that this transformation is, like you said, sustainable. You're able to carry it forward long after I'm gone. Uh, I love that balance. Uh, I think that's, you know, you're really straddling the line well between consulting and coaching there. And, and a lot of these organizations need both. Uh, so let's say I'm in industrials, I'm in mining, and, yeah. and I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, okay, how do I know if I need Ahmed's help, right? Like, are there like one or two signs that you could share with me and share with our audience? Like, okay, here's how you know that you need to engage a consulting firm or engage consultia in the work of industrial transformation? Yeah, sure. So look, one example, which we probably just referenced now, but let's maybe bring it again to a different angle is you, you're going to get this corporate report, this, this top-down assessment, this consulting storm. Someone's going to come in for six weeks and produce a massive report and you won't know what to do with it. So sometimes there is, oh, you know what? I need I need a consultia of sorts to really to really take that into now the granular bit that, that I need to do tomorrow because I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow with that big massive report. So, I so there's steps. exactly I need well practical, tangible, realistic next steps that taking into account the maturity, the context, the resourcing that I have, and every other constraint that I have. I mean, these top-down benchmark assessments, I, I can't believe people are still paying for them, but it's fine. You know, if it's getting done and if it's corporate mandated or whatever it is, that's fine. But there is now an element of pragmatism that needs to come in. So that's that's point one. Point two can be, um, I am not hitting my budget, you know, or I'm hitting my budget, but I'm not hitting it safely. Or I could be hitting my production numbers, but I'm not hitting them cost effectively. You know, there's something in my there's something in my PL that is just not lining up. And and I, I need a little bit of help here. I need to get across the line. I'm four months into the financial year or six months in, and I can see that I'm nowhere near getting where I need to. Um, and, and, you know, it could be a strike two for me. It could be that we really need to get this going. Um, I may need help in actually getting this, getting this going, as in I need the production numbers or the cost numbers, you know, production to either go up or cost to come down. But I need help in actually realizing this and getting it done. 
you know, this is normally where it comes from. Uh, sometimes people will have now a very crystal clear uh, requirement, like I need to build a new management operating system. Uh, my business is run by people. It's not run by processes. Uh, as people come and go, things keep falling over and we keep seem to reinvent it every time from scratch. I need a good MOS, a good management operating system, that manual that's going to tell me, okay, here is how we go from the annual plan to the quarterly to the monthly, weekly, day shift execution level. And here's how, here's how we're going to close the, the loop, you know, daily, weekly, monthly. And I want this documented and I want this to be racied and I want this to be, you know, tied into the calendars and, and, and tied into the deliverables. I don't want the KPIs to be cascaded. So a lot of people require that most quite often as well. And so sometimes they might come to you with a very specific requirement, like, you know, I need a good MOS who's out there who can get, you know, a really good MOS in. Uh, so sometimes I could, you know, I'd put my hand up to that and say, yep, you know, done dozens of those, uh, happy to come in and, and not just, again, retrofit, Whatever it is, it is bespoke. It will be bottom up. It'll be co-design. Co-design is such a cool word that I use. I don't know if it's a buzzword or not, but what I'm trying to say with co-design is we're gonna we're gonna build this together. I'm not coming in with some fancy standard that I'm just shoving down everyone's throats. We're gonna work bottom up, engage the front line as well, and really build this together. So that again, by the time we're done, we're not handing anything over. I don't like handovers. A handover means that you've worked independently of the line it means that there's some sort of a distance that you've been operating at that you now need to try and bridge with a checklist uh so i don't do handovers on my gigs because because i'm, I'm i make myself as dispensable as possible as early as i can and that's genuinely the case my success is that i get to walk away as soon as possible uh and i and i can happily commit and honor that you know, it's not about me just sitting there and milking the bills month in, month out because I can. It's it's how can I get you to stand up on your feet very quickly and as sustainably as possible so that I can work myself out. And that is successful for me. And when I when I present that to executives, I genuinely mean it. My my gig is to not embed myself in your team. I want to get out there as quickly as I can. And that's a differentiator between you and the traditional players in the space. Right, where one of the internal metrics of success is can we sell follow-on work? Can we sell downstream? Yeah, of course. Can we get embedded inside the client organization? Uh, and so coming in from day one and saying, My goal is to work myself out of a job, I, I trust that that's a pretty compelling message. And it's and it's genuine. You know, I'm not I'm not sitting there trying to, you know, be a unique differentiator in the market. I genuinely believe that 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 is a, a, a noble and a realistic. Um, objective that I can achieve, and and you know the the billing again, and so that comes back to the buildings because I was the partner. You gotta you gotta hey, what's next, Ahmed? What's next? You know what are we what are we squeezing? What are we doing? I I don't want to squeeze, and I don't want to milk, and I I and I'm not working for billables. If I can get you know good results and and get firms to stand up, and I can build teams, I feel like I'm making the world a better place. And funny enough, work will come. I, I don't have to approach it through some, what I'd call a sleazy way just to make it work. I can genuinely make, work myself out. And then another opportunity will come up elsewhere and that's fine. And, and, and that makes me happy and very fulfilled about the work that I do. Yeah. We've just barely scratched the surface today uh, talking about ops transformation. 
But let's say someone's listening to this and thinking, you know what, my team, my my division, my organization needs this. I'm going to try and go it alone, right? Are there one or two common mistakes that you see inside of operations transformation that you can just caution us uh, against before we start to try and do this on our own? Yeah, of course. Well, you know, let's say, look, here's three things that you typically don't get to see very well when you go into the organization. Number one, it's not really quantified. I don't really have a good solid quantified pipeline of initiatives that I'm working on. So you say, okay, so how big is your transformation? And it's, ah, look, and it's measured in the number of initiatives. And sometimes you'll hear hundreds of initiatives and I'm going, oh, those poor people, like they're just suffering, suffering this admin storm that, that, that they've created. But, you know, so it's just measured in number of initiatives and stuff. And it's not really bottom line value. So that's one. Two is I'm looking at um, the, 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 the resourcing and how it's getting put together and who's doing what. And again, it's done separate. Either there's like an internal business improvement team that is just sitting there administering initiatives in head office. Um, and then there's supposedly the line that's going to get out there and do all the hard work. And then, you know, they're just bridging the gap with reporting really bad and it will never work. Um, and three, uh, what you then get to see um, a lot of is uh, it's not tied to the business metrics. You know, it's again, it's it's the number of initiatives, it's it's the number of people that we've trained, it's the number of stuff that we've all well, what is what are we actually so here's the baseline PL, here's the baseline metrics, what is actually gonna change bottom line and 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 you don't actually get to see how it ties in. And so when you start challenging and doing, you know, looking at prioritization effort and all the rest of it, you'll realize that you're probably not work, you know, you're not consuming your resources on the 80-20 here. You're, you've spread yourself out so thin trying to fix every single patch on every wall when the reality is there's, there's, you could have consolidated 80% of your resources into those 20% problems because they would have given you the biggest bang for buck uh, you know, in terms of value and speed as well, and, and, and you're not getting either of them. So you know, a, a, an executive can then sit at the top and look at, you know what, I'm, I'm investing in this, but I'm not getting a return. I'm not seeing what I'm not. The PNL is basically not moving, and it's for all sorts of reasons. Every monthly meeting we have, there's a story about why the numbers haven't trended in that direction that we wanted them to trend in, and so, and so you know, you start getting these signals as the executives, and that's when you start thinking, okay, well, maybe I just need, uh, I just need an external eye to come in and just really have a look at how we're doing this and what needs to change and all the rest of it. So you occupy a very specific niche. You do operations transformation inside the industrial space. Correct. If that applies to folks that are, are listening today and they want to learn more about you, learn more about the firm, how can they reach out? Uh, very straightforward. So you can um, you can contact me on probably LinkedIn is where I get most of the, of the inbound, right? So people can message me directly. Um, my phone number and email are also there available um, in public. So feel free to come in, um, yeah, add me, text me, um, email me, call me. Uh, yeah, love to chat and love to um, get to know people and love to um, get out there and, and do more work, yeah. I love that. Well, we'll share the link to your LinkedIn, Ahmed, in the show notes. So folks, if you're listening to this, uh, just go ahead and, and read the show notes and you'll find Ahmed's LinkedIn directly linked uh, underneath the episode here. Ahmed, one of our traditions here at Strategy Simplified is that we love to end our episodes with a couple of personal questions to get to know 
uh, our guests a little bit better and on a more personal level. And so just based on your background and your story, I, I've got a couple of burning questions I want to ask you. First, look, you've traveled the world. You've you've uh, kind of traveled Africa, Europe, Southeast Asia, uh, et cetera. What's next on your travel bucket list? Uh, okay, good question. Um, I have never been to Latin America yet. And I haven't visited the U.S. yet, surprisingly enough. So the U.S. is definitely uh, big on my agenda. My younger brother lives in Atlanta. So there's a, there's a real reason for me to go now, at least. And visiting family can be a good reason. Um, and Latin America is a place that is just, it's, a, it's an entire continent that I haven't even explored yet. So, I, I, you know, now that I'm in Oz, you can, you can get the flights from Sydney to L.A., kind of like from the other side. So I, I'm looking at getting out there from the other side and, and making my way through that west coast of the U.S. And, and, and hopefully doing a bit of coverage of the U.S. and Latin America. Um, yeah, but definitely, you know, two big chunks of, of the world that I haven't seen yet. Amazing. Highly recommend uh, the drive up Highway 1 on the west coast of the U.S. It Amazing. is comparable yeah. to, to almost any other place I've been in the world. Uh, it really wow. is stunning. Uh, and if you ever find yourself in Austin, Texas, please let me know. Amazing. I'll first, to that. First drink is on me. So, Excellent. No, thanks, buddy. You mentioned, uh, you know, when you were uh, at IE, you started your own mining venture, uh, right. which that's a conversation for another day. I have to ask you about yeah. how you found gold. Uh, yes, we'll yes. Have that conversation <laughs> offline. Uh, but is there a career that you thought about going into that you have never explored? Like in a different life, would you come back and do something else? Uh Pretty good question. Um, would I have done something else? Look, I um, I guess as I got a bit more senior and I got more involved in in contracts and terms, etc., I I got fascinated by law a bit a little bit more as time went by and as I got more exposed to it. And I I started to also see and realize a lot of similarities in terms of how the problems are solved just through a different lens, a legal lens, how there's frameworks, how how there's how there's experience and how there's context and how you need to kind of bring those all together to make it work. Um, maybe in a different life or in a different time, I, I would have considered um, a, a legal practice um, just because I, it looks like it's very similar, just looking at things more qualitatively, I suppose. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely something I would have um, considered. Yeah. Law school was almost in the cards for me as well. And I have to really? say, I'm, okay. yeah. I'm very grateful that I did not go down that path. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm the same. No, I'm, I, I, yeah, exactly. And I look back and I think, you know, engineering is a really good degree, but gosh, like as a mechanical engineer, I was so tangled up in, in fluid mechanics and hydraulics and all that kind of stuff. And, and when I, you know, when I went back into uni later at IE and I was doing development economics and, 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 and some of those modules, a lot of, the world affairs were also starting to make a lot more sense uh, in terms of role of central banks and reserve bank. Like it's all that stuff that you've read in the news, but a lot of it just started to all of a sudden make more sense after that business and economics training. And so I always felt, you know, so maybe there is like a really cool hybrid between engineering and, and business economics, but I definitely felt like, gosh, I almost feel like I, I should have learned some of that stuff a bit earlier on. I know one will never learn everything all at once, but yeah, there's definitely a merit in, in, in the engineering work and that detail because that's you need to get into the detail if you're going to make a result. And that's a, that's a thing to any aspiring consultant out there. You know, you can, you can have all that big macro stuff and that's all very exciting, 
but you'll never change. And I think um, the IBM transformation by Lewis, I think he was the guy who did that big trend. And I think there's a really good interview where he goes, what people don't get is that we have to get to the lowest common denominator at the process level and change those. And once we change processes is when we started to actually make a change in the organization. Um, you know, engineering gives you that little bit of let me really get in and get dirty and get very processy because that's where a lot of the change happens. So I'm glad I did that training as well, but I, I'm also glad that, you know, you also get to do some of the bigger picture stuff as well because it helps to also contextualize and put things in perspective. Yeah. I like that. Consulting is so much about top-down problem solving, but I think a lot of these operation operational transformations happen from the bottom up. And it, yeah. it has to yeah. be. Uh, yeah. And that's uh, an interesting mindset shift, you know, uh, if you're just used to thinking about consulting from a strategy consulting perspective. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Ahmed, really appreciate our conversation today. Your passion for your work, your lust for learning uh, really resonates with me. Uh, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. No, I'm really pleased there, man. And thanks again for the opportunity. Like, I really, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed it. And yeah, I um, look forward to catching up again. Thank you so much. Ahmed Alkomi is the Managing Director of Consultia. He joins us today from his office in Brisbane, Australia. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Strategy Simplified. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, like, subscribe, and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We need your help to tell the algorithms that this podcast is useful, entertaining, and beneficial. Help us get Strategy Simplified into the ears of more listeners. Thanks in advance, and we'll see you next time.